Welcome to Achieve Wealth through value-add real estate investing. This is the show where the guru hype is banned and you get direct insights from commercial real estate operators. If you're a passive investor, this show can help you better understand investment opportunities. And if you're an active investor, the lessons from each episode can help you to become more effective in your own deals. Now, here's your host, investor and author, James Kandasamy. Hey, audience and listeners, this is James Kandasamy from Achieve Wealth Through Value Add Podcast. Uh, today, I have one of my students who have been very successful in his venture. Uh, his name is Yomish Daliwala from North Carolina, right? Hey, Yomish, you want to say hi to everyone? Hey, everybody. Very nice to be here. Thank you so much, James for inviting me to the podcast. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm proud of you know you, you and your team to you know uh, to uh, you know grow so fast and you know able to take that leap of faith. I mean, Yomish right now, you know you know they have like almost 800 units right now with 300 units where they are directly managing you know as a, you know as, as an operator, right? Which is you know which is really really an important aspect when we distinguish people right? because you know running an operator and being a being on a big unit count is completely different, right? And and uh, you know, being be where the you know rubber meets the road is where you really see you know how successful you are, and they have been uh, doing very well in that venture. So they are focusing on not the Carolinas, Georgia, talk, Texas, Florida, and I think their assets right now valued almost seventy million, right? Um, and I want to go through with Yomesh on how did he get started because you know he. He was, you know, he has working, you know, W two job, and you know, this is a big venture, right? Hey, Yomesh, why not you tell about your story on how did you get started? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a it's a funny thing, right? I mean, I come from a very humble background uh, from India, right? So I finished my master's, come over here for job, like uh, many of the listeners out there as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting um, <clears throat> so the first thing, first and foremost, you know, I've been always uh, hustling and looking for passive income, right? So the first thing I did was, you know, I started investing in uh, residential real estate in Charlotte. So I landed here in Charlotte back in 2005. And while I was living in the apartment, I bought a townhome as a passive income. So because I knew right from the beginning that, hey, you know, it is important to invest in real estate in order to make long-term wealth, right? So I wanted to create a supplemental income for from a passive income standpoint, that would one day replace my primary income. So that was my whole goal. So uh, I, I picked up my first uh, rental unit, right? It was a new construction. I just ended up buying that and I was still living in the apartment. And then, and then I bought my primary home and moved into my primary home. So I, I was very clear on, on uh, where I wanted to go from real estate standpoint. And then between then 2006, all the way to 16, uh, Charlotte saw a lot of uh, good growth, right? And, and up until now, actually, not even 2016. Um, and I've been fortunate enough to pick up a lot of onesie, uh, twosie units across the city. So I made a, a huge portfolio out of the local units itself, right? So that's what I did. 2016 onwards, and by the way, I still own them. They are all cash flowing, infinite. Cash on cash. Then how many single family houses do you have? So uh, between single family and townhome, at one point I had about 12 um, units within the Charlotte area. I took a, get, got rid of a bunch of them and then took out the cash and put it into multifamily. That's a different story. But then I still own about nine of them. They are all infinite. Like I took all my cash out and put it into multifamily. They are on 
they are on uh, cruise control and uh, earning me infinite cash on cash. So refi and put it into multifamily? Exactly, exactly. Okay. Right, um, so, the same path as me. I, I had 13 yeah. houses and refinance. Yeah, so, the, so with that in mind, right, 2016 onwards, I stopped doing that because the market did not start making sense, right? I mean, it was, you know, uh, the amount of money I would put in to, to get a, a buy a town home or a single family, the rent was not comparable to that, right? The simple, the 1% rule. I was not getting the 1% of the purchase price back in rent. So I was like, hey, this math is not working. So between 2016 and 19, I was completely, you know, stopped everything. And I'm like, hey, I'm sitting on my money. Let's see, I, I did a couple of retail ventures. I opened up a, a, a franchise for education. I opened up a franchise for uh, a healthcare and uh, you know, closed them successfully as well. But then I kind of, 2019 is when we, a bunch of our friends were sitting and we we're uh, one of my, my current partner right now, Himal Badiani, right? So he and I and a bunch of other friends were just uh, meeting at a friend's place and talking about, it. he says, hey, let me, let me introduce you guys to commercial real estate. So I'm like, okay, let's, let's take a look at that. And then he explained about how it's run as a business, you know, how, what kind of roles you can have from a capital raiser to, a, to asset manager, to finding the deal acquisition, all the pieces together. And it, it just clicked from that point onwards. I'm like, hey, if, if done right, right, if you operate this as the right business, I mean, this is exactly what you would need to scale yourself, you know, out of your onesie, twosie, down home single family and pull yourself into the big game uh, with the apartment complexes, right? So that's, that was the starting point. And then from that point onwards, Himal and myself, we kind of started investing in, in education. So late 2019, we started investing in education. So we, um, we went into a bunch of conferences. This is pre-COVID, right? So right before COVID, when all the conferences were still on. So we attended a couple of conferences. We took mentorship program from a couple of other mentors. Obviously, I enrolled in your mentorship program as well. And it, it was a great success. I, I went to see what are all the different things that you do and how efficiently, not only finding the deal, uh, you know, how to uh, evaluate the deal, both from the sides of passive investor and also as an operator, right? So it was a, it was a big value add for me. Um, and then uh, what we did was in 2020, right at the beginning of COVID in April of 2020, we started our first limited partnership uh, investment. So I took all my money out of 401k and then converted into self-directed IRA and then put that money into, uh, into a limited partnership. So became an LP on a couple of deals. Uh, and then with these conferences, with the relationship, we kind of uh, in, uh, organically build those relationships and got into the deals to become co-GPs over the, the, the summer of 2020, we got into three deals where we became co-GPs uh, by raising capital, being boots on the ground, providing them support, and pretty much on a pro bono basis, right? So it's like, hey, you know what? I'm here to learn. Get, get me in whatever you can. And then, uh, you know, just jumped in, raised capital for three deals. We are boots on the ground for a Louisiana deal. Uh, it's 128 units in Lafayette, Louisiana. And then starting 21, quarter one, we started doing all our deals soup to nuts, which means everything within ourselves, in our company, we became the lead operator. So the first asset we closed is uh, uh, quarter one, end of quarter one, 246 units in uh, Winston-Salem, uh, North Carolina. And then uh, we kind of 
had a couple of setbacks within the last two quarters as we go through the learning process. But then again, now we're back uh, for the quarter four, we're looking at about closing two more assets that we have under contract. Um, one in Winston-Salem and uh, uh, one in Charlotte, North Carolina. Got it, got it, got it. Well, you give us so much information, but I want to go back to the beginning and I want to sure. start, you know, there's a few questions that I want to go, right? So first of all, I mean, when you started looking at real estate itself, I mean, you are, you are a techie, right? You're a tech person, right? So, I mean, you can be happy working, right? But what was that trigger point that say that, hey, I can do real estate, you know, you can be just do coding or, you know, <laughs> tech person. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and I, I don't blame anybody who wants to do that, right? But at some point, you know, I have always been uh, more hands-on with what I want to do, right? And part of it was passion, part of it was lifestyle, right? So uh, one, of the, one of the things that we practice within our family is to have that freedom of, you know, taking time off, going to the right places for vacations, you know, spending time with family, spending time on things that we love, right? So with that and job in mind, and then, you know, that the freedom was not, you know, I don't have unlimited amount of PTOs available for me to go anywhere, right? So this is where the freedom was one of it. Lifestyle, lifestyle was one of it that, hey, I, I'll be able to work from anywhere. I'll, I'll have enough freedom to spend time with my family. So that was, those were the couple of trigger points. But, but, the, but what, I mean, a lot of, lot of techies invest in stocks, right? Because that's all, that's the only thing they know. They, I mean, every techie yeah. thinks that they can, you know, solve the, uh, the stock market puzzle, right? And they, you know, do this analysis. They think they are. You are smart on over there. Yep. Yeah. yeah. But what was? I was the... one of them. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> yeah. I wrote a kind of technical analysis book and tried to solve the world's biggest puzzle, thinking that it's easy to get rich, right? I mean, a lot of people think that I'm doing very well. I mean, they are doing very well in stocks, but keep in mind, um, you know, stocks is controlled by the big guys, right? I mean, you are a small yeah. guy, you're probably lucky. Yeah, absolutely. So the way the first first uh, time when I looked at real estate was just from a diversification standpoint. Mm -hmm. So, and so then you, I you, you were doing stocks and you said, hey, exactly. let me diversify as well. Okay. Let me diversify, uh, okay. not having all eggs in one basket. So all of 401k going, oh, everything is in stock. Mm -hmm. Then you have, uh, personally, you have invested, oh, everything that is in stock. So pretty much everything was in stock. If you take 529, if you take any other instrument that I had was in one way or the other connected to the stock market. And obviously seeing through what, what happens in the stock market, you know, I wanted to make sure that I diversify. And then since I was already holding these single family and townhomes and they, they are, to this date, they're bringing significant passive income for me. And I'm like, uh, why not this, right? So at that point in time, I started uh, diversifying, taking out some of the money from the stocks and putting it into single family townhomes uh, back in 2008, 9, 10, 11. And then uh, up until now in 2019, what I did was I took all of my money from 401k, like I said, put it into an SDIRA and started doing that as a limited yeah. partnership and putting into, into the real estate deals. Yeah, let me stop you one thing, right? So was your friends doing the same thing while working or were you the only one who was doing that? No, we were, um, I did not see a whole lot of people doing that. So, you know, why still, did you do it? What, what was that inside you that triggered that, hey, I, you know, I want to try this. No, so this one, I mean, I could see the returns, right? So when I was having the single family and the, the townhomes that I owned, Right. It was, but even before owning it, before owning it, the first 
the first house that you bought, right? So let, let's assume like 10 guys working in your company, right? But I don't think so 10 people bought real estate. Everybody's in stock, right? But why, how did you, I mean, was there someone come and tell you, hey, there's a, you know, you can buy a house and make a good money or, I mean, what, what triggered you? So honestly, I saw, and I, this, this actually brings up a good memory back from my head is, uh, you know, I had a few guys uh, who are our friends here, family friends, they moved from uh, California to Charlotte. And they are like uh, they they are here from like over twenty years, and what they told me is that hey Yomesh, um, Charlotte is growing. If you want to invest invest in real estate, right now is the right time. Got it. So I I still remember that uh, one of our very close friend he was going to sign his own townhome as part of that first townhome that I signed. He said I am signing this. It's a brand new community. Why don't you join? And then you can also purchase one. And I'm like, okay, I, I, I trust you enough that uh, you're not going to, he's uh, he's like spent a decade in the country here already. Mm. And he has spent enormous amount of uh, money in California. He was paying a huge amount of rent. And, uh, you know, he knew exactly why he moved to Charlotte and wanted to start investing in real estate. So he said, hey, close your eyes, trust me, invest in this. And yeah. I'm like, okay, let's go and do that. So, yeah. and then I started seeing the value as to, hey, yeah. this is the, the, when I worked on the numbers, like, hey, rent versus mm-hmm. the expenses, the property manager comes into play, the tax benefits that I get, how mm-hmm. it uh, goes against my income, you know, the passive income that I would earn right. from everywhere else. And then how can I uh, offset that and right. all of the good stuff kind right. of all. So the point I'm, I'm trying to make is, I mean, a lot of people are busy working. When I was doing W2 job as well as an engineer, we are so busy working. And all our friends think the same, right? So I think in your case, there was one outsider who came, who yeah. came from California, right? He already experienced yeah. something different. So yeah. he came and put that seed in, or he already know. I mean, so you need to have that external connection coming in and changing somebody else's life, right? Because yeah, no, absolutely. If that guy was not there. You probably would be working happily and doesn't know anything about it, right? Yeah, yeah, that's very well true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I mean, even in my experience, I see that. You know, when you are busy working, I mean, when I was young, uh, you know, I was first few years working as an engineer and somebody came and gave me Robert Kiyosaki book, right? And um, and I read it a few pages and I said, okay, I, this book doesn't make sense. Throw it away, right? So because, you know, you you don't have that. I mean, he came and gave me, but I don't know whether he read it or not, but you don't have that um, exposure, I guess, right? To a different world, right? So, so I think in somebody, everybody have to have different exposure. Just be open to different network of friends. Exactly. Don't just stay within the same friend circle, right? Because then no, you're going to- that, that was one of the things that we, yeah. I, I truly believe now, right? And, and yeah. uh, you know, with that mindset and surrounding yourself with the right people so that- Okay, are you back? Uh, can you hear me yeah yeah sorry about that so but it's okay let's continue so second question right so remember you said your partner Hemal came and you know like four or five guys sitting there listening to him right did all four or five guys did what you did or only you and him no it was just me and Hemal yeah that's that's another difference right there's another three guys who listen to the same information and didn't take action, right? So, I mean, it's, it's nothing wrong. It's just that not everybody will click with that certain ideas. That's right. Yeah, it, it didn't resonate quite well. Right. And they had, uh, you know, like you said, they 
they had their own um, world where you know they they think that they have enough ways to make money and mm-hmm. getting themselves involved. Maybe it is too overwhelming, or they don't have any kind of expertise, or they just wanted to take it easy. Right? Yeah, it's also yeah, yeah, it's also risk, right? I mean, how many people are willing to be that entrepreneur to take that risk, right? Yeah. So you may have you have you you probably had that. Hey, I want to try this, right? There's no, I want to take that risk, but everybody else, I don't want to touch it. I'd rather do my W2 job and it's just people's behavior and how much risk tolerance everybody have, right? It's nothing wrong. It's just how people are, right? I mean, if you're a very, very high risk person, you go and do capital uh, venture, right? So that's true. low risk, you just continue working, right? In in between, you can do business and you can do stocks and all that, right? So yeah, it all goes back to, you know, getting out of your comfort zone, right? So, you know, you are, are you ready to get out of your comfort zone and do things that are difficult, right? Yeah. And uh, when you when you challenge yourself to do that, that was one thing that I always was challenging myself. Is like, hey, challenge myself. Can can I do that? Right. I yeah. mean, uh, if there is there is there is uh, things that are not known, you can learn, right? And right. then make right. your way forward. Right? So that was, yeah. Now, I mean, even after you guys joined my program, and you guys started looking at deals within what two months or three months, right? Which is surprising for me, right? But that's what you need. To take yeah, some yeah. risk, right? You have to take some risk. Yeah, you cannot be learning all the time, or you cannot be on the sideline all the time. You have to, you know, jump over that cliff and do something, right? I mean, of course, that's the right. first deal, the first deal we looked at. I mean, I came down to Charlotte, and I didn't work out, but that's okay. That's all part of the process. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, One of the things that I believe is, uh, you know, you play the game on the court, not sitting on the sidelines. Absolutely. So you want to, you want to learn something, you just go on the court, you just run. And yeah. you know, get in the game, right? So, and then the game right. is happening on the court, not on the sidelines. So you yeah. get jump right in, find the deals. You know, obviously you you make mistakes, but then yeah. mistakes are learning lessons as uh, towards the path. So yeah. yeah, taking that risk and jumping over the cliff at the same time, having that education is it's key, right? Uh, and I think um, you know, it's just you know, certain people have that risk tolerance and certain desire to you know to to be successful and they take action, right? I see a lot of people doesn't take action, right? A lot of people are in the, in the Facebook and they talk about these, you know, if they're not getting the game, they said market is too hot. All these buyers are crazy. You know, they're overpaying for it, but they're not in the game, right? They, yeah. they, Very so, I mean, market is going to be hot all the time, right? Since 2015, when I started, it was super hot, like as hot as yeah. right now. Right? There's no such thing as, you know, market is overextended or not, right? So, so, uh, so some of the, th- I want to go back into your 401k moving to SDIRA. How did you do that? I mean, did you have to pay a, a penalty to move from uh, 401k to self-directed IRA? No, so the self-directed IRA, um, I, you know, I use one of the custodians that is available right there that gives mm-hmm. you the checkbook control of your 401k. Oh, so it's like solo 401k, I guess. So, did you move 401k to solo 401k or self-directed No, IRA? it was just the self-directed IRA, not solo. Okay, self-directed solo 401k is for the self-employed people who would want to do that. But this was my W-2 job, right? So oh. this was, I changed job in 2019. So I had all oh. my money sitting in a previous employer's W-2. Got it, got it. Job and 401k. And I'm like, hey, that's a, and, uh, you know, stock market was not looking good. Obviously, 100% of that was in stock market. So, you mm-hmm. know. So so you had a rollover for one k Rollover and self-directed IRA. Got it, got it, got it, got it. And it it came in handy, right? Because I invested in three limited partnership 
at that mm -hmm. point in time, right? Uh, understood the whole system from a passive investor standpoint, right? Hey, mm -hmm. what should I look for in the operator? What should I look for in the deal? How have they underwritten it? Everything that that you know, pretty much you also went through in your uh, coaching program, right? And understand. And obviously, I read your book as well. But in there, you know, you the perspective of sit, standing or in in the shoes of passive investors. I wanted to understand the whole thing. And that, that was, that's why we invested in, uh, I took the money and invested in three LP deals to uh, identify all the side from this side of the table. So you and always, always want to be GP, I guess. You just want to start. Yes. What's yeah. that? Do you think that's a good decision that you did from LP, you know, learn and then move? It is actually. I, now, you know, now that I look back, it is because one, you would know, you know, what kind of operators you can work with, mm -hmm. right? What do you look for in an operator? What do you look for in a deal? Uh, what, how do you evaluate your returns, right? I mean, people will call, tell you they will, they will get you to moon. But then, you know, the actual, you know, you, when you actually look at the numbers and say, look at the cash flow, look at monthly cash flow, look at all of those details within that is hidden in the numbers. Uh, and as an LP, you can get access to that, right? It's, it's like, you know, they're, they're not going to stop you for that. Uh, but when when you start asking those right questions, you understand it from your from the LP standpoint. And then the way it has benefited me is when I became a GP, I'm I'm already equipped with that knowledge. So before even the LP will ask me a question, I would be like, hey, be rest assured, I have also been an LP and I know what we need to do. You know, this communication is an issue, numbers is an issue, this is an issue, that is an issue, and we can kind of highlight the whole thing and say, hey, this is how we are going to approach it. And you tell me now whether uh, this deal makes sense or not. Got it. Yeah, that's a, yeah, that's a good path to follow, right? From LP to become GP and, and uh, you know, at least you know, you know, the others, both sides of the world, I guess, right? So we'll appreciate your passive investors much better, right? So. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and most of the passive investors that, you know, at some point when we were initially raising from friends and family, the only question they would ask me is, hey, would you put your money in it? Hmm. And I would, if the answer is yes, they will put the money. That's, that's about it. And then when you are being entrusted with that kind of, uh, responsibility you also want to evaluate it and make sure that you're not you're being responsible for uh you know have a fiduciary responsibility to be justified uh to to spend that money right so that's a burden that you carry as a as a gp so we have to be very cognizant of that fact got it got it got it so right i mean you started in single family now in multifamily, right uh, before we go okay. further i mean would you have done more single family or would you do, do you like multifamily and why, if you like multifamily, why do you like it more? So multi, so single family, there's, uh, you know, obviously um, the, depending on the market, I would carry on with single family, Okay. but the, the returns are different, right? I mean, for example, if you have, let's say a couple of single family homes and if it is empty for let's say a month, right? Then you wipe out the entire year's worth of profit, profits, right? That, that's one of the things. Compare that with multifamily. Multifamily is run as a business. So you have, you have built-in contingencies. You have built-in uh, risk mitigation, right? So you're, whenever I'm underwriting a property with 100 units, I'm already factoring in 10% vacancy, right? Or 15% vacancy, depending on the market. And then when it's run as a business, you have more control towards 
the expenses towards the income and you can have a, a direct relationship with everybody involved in that, right? So obviously you can also have the same thing on single family, but not at the scale at which you would do in multifamily. If, you, if I have a hundred unit and if I need a plumber, the plumber is, if I tell him that, hey, 20% of my units require this, he would be more inclined to work with me because he's getting there a good chunk of business right there. So same thing applies economies of scales across the board that I'm able to put, uh, mobilize more resources, factor in all of those savings, have a direct impact and run it as a business. And I can see the results. So that's one of the things. The second thing is in single family, I can be the, the most beautiful house on the block Mm-hmm. And I would only be $10,000 more than the guy next door. Uh, versus you take that in multifamily. If I'm the top class multifamily in, in, in a particular area, I can command that price based on the NOI and the amount of money that I'm making uh, by running it as a business. So it's a, it's a completely different ball game, as you would know, right? Uh, yeah, that, you know, you, and in single family with all of the comps that you would do, appraisals that you would do, you cannot control any of that. Versus in multifamily, if you run your business right, your valuation is appropriately categorized and you can, you can get enough returns for your investors. You can get enough returns for at the time of sale, at the refinance and all of the good stuff, right? So it's a, it's a win-win situation for everybody. So what characteristics do you think an operator need to have to be a very successful uh, multifamily operator. I mean, in terms of personality, right? I mean, because now, now you're an operator, right? In terms of personality, you know, what kind of personality that that person need to have? Because yeah, no, uh, that's a great question, right? So you know, and then I would start with this, right? When you are, there are two aspects of it, right? When you acquire the multifamily asset, there is a lot of things that needs to go through when <laughs> before you acquire. And then the second part is once once you acquire, it goes into operation. That's a two separate side of the world, right? And you mm-hmm. would attest to that uh, where, you know, you have to, when you acquire it, you have to go through the, the due diligence and loan processing and lending and all of that good stuff, making sure that you're buying the right asset, right? Get, uh, raising money out. But once you go into operations, there is different kind of skill set required, working with the property manager, working with the contractors, establishing, you know, finding... Um, the right um, uh, level of contractors, building the right relationship with city, building the right relationship with local leadership, building the right uh, relationship across the community, right, for for that particular. So those are two separate set of skills. But that being said, right, I mean, when you are acquiring, it's a, uh, or as a matter of fact, the entire multifamily is a team effort, right? And you would you would attest better than, you know, between between you and Shanti, I think you are a great team along with all the other employees that you have, right? It's, it's not a one-man job, right? Uh, but when you are operating that asset, um, being an operator, I mean, what, the number one thing you need to understand is, hey, you need to have a pulse of the market, right? In terms of rents, in terms of materials, in terms of contractors, in terms of what's, what's in, what's out, right? In terms of rehabs and you know, building the right vendor contacts, you know, having the right roster in front, front of you that, hey, pick up the phone and get the right people and uh, solve the problems, right? At the same time, um, you also need to be very close with the community, right? You know, it can make or break your property. You know, you, you have to be uh, working with the city leadership, community leadership, be more presentable and open, uh, communicate and, you know, be present for the community 
with a with a sense of improving the lives of the tenants. We'll, we'll, I mean, at, at one point we need to understand that, hey, um, uh, what we are doing as a multifamily operator is improving the lives of tenants, right? I mean, if I am getting in and uh, doing good things about the community, it, in a way it is helping the tenants, right? And to live a better life. So that's that's another way to look at it. And, and all in all, I mean, um, I mean, those are some of the qualities that I would look for in an operator, right? Not just transactional, like, hey, I, I bought this property, I'll give it to a property management company. Yeah. I'm done with this. Anybody can buy a deal. Right? Operating yeah. in the toughest one, right? So. Exactly, exactly. And we, I mean, at least on our end, we take it very seriously. So that's why we have like a clear line of duties mm. uh, involved. So between me and, and my partner, Hemo, we, Hemo actually handles most of the marketing money raise side. And then um, we have a separate acquisitions team who, who handles most of the acquisitions. And I handle the, the majority of operations side of it. So I handle our entire property management side, vendor contacts, uh, construction side of it, um, you know, uh, asset management, the entire asset management suite, right? The KPIs that we talk about, all of that, I, I, I take care of that. Got it, got it. So do you think some of the skills that you acquired at your W2 job is trans transferable or has been transferred to this business side? Well, I mean, um, not the actual skills, but soft skills, right? I mean, soft skills as in, you know, you know, the life of uh, entrepreneur is like, hey, one day you are on the top of the cloud nine and then the other day you're, hey, yeah. I, I got, you know, several move outs coming on and then you're scrambling for, for resources and making sure things are working. So it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a lifestyle or it's a mindset from an entrepreneur standpoint, right? You got to be ready for everything that's going to come to you. That does not tell you in W2. W2 is more like constant. I go in, go out, punch my, do my stuff, nine to five, nine to 10, whatever the job You're is. Not there. Sometimes your boss forget about you. Everyone forget about you. You're not. <laughs> exactly, exactly. No, here it's like more, every time it's hands-on, right? Yeah. And and it can get as as much hands-on as you want to be, right? Mm -hmm. you, you can always outsource your roles and get more people in the team and build your team and get that way, right? You know, build, but transferable i would say most of the soft skills are transferable if you are able if you are more um you know more uh, person who is uh, aiming towards follow ups right you know consistent consistent follow up uh, follow through with your work right you know you are not just starting uh, one thing and then just leaving that behind and then starting another thing and then you know follow through right so you start something complete something then go to the next task start and complete. so those are some of the soft skills that would come uh, uh, but yeah, mainly, uh, you know, managing money, right? You know, that's that's another uh, way. Relationship building is another soft skill that comes in really handy. Uh, you know, you have to build the right relationships in order to get to the right deal. And, you know, one of the things that I, I, I failed to mention was single family, you have MLS where you can go and find out this particular property is on, on sale. For multifamily, there's nothing. So oh, there are sites, but then if it hits the site, then you would know nobody wanted to buy. That's why it is on the site. So, so that's one of the things, you know, relationship building comes in really handy where you build the right relationship. Yeah. 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 You want to go for deals, which is the Ailey's deal, right? Where people are, you're not going through bidding war and all, you know, all kinds of things in the market, yeah. right? That's one thing we always talk about, right? Because, you know, if you go on the market, you know, you, are, you know, it's very hard to buy good deals, right? So you have to either preempt the deal 
or try to build relationship with brokers to get the deal or you go off market and go direct to sellers, right? So yeah. but as you grow bigger, I think brokers will be the right way to do it. So, um, so what is one advice that you would give to someone who's, uh, you know, starting out who want to be like you? Yeah. So number one thing I, I, I firmly believe in learning and everybody uh, needs to do their share or spend that share of either money, time, commitment towards learning. So, you know, when, when we started in 2019, we didn't go in any of the deals. For a good six, eight months, we start, We did only learning. So YouTube, podcast, there are so many avenues available to learn nowadays. I mean, your podcast being one of them, right? Where you can learn journey for all the operators that you brought in. But that learning is very crucial. You know how the game is played. And then when you are ready, you find the right deal, you just jump on it, right? You just take that leap of faith um, and then jump on it. So, and, and learning never does not stop until you make first deal. You, I'm 100% sure with the first deal, you're gonna be learning so many new things that you may not have learned in the last six months, right. but that's, that learning continues with it. So learning is the number one thing that you, know, you can find, you know, now the conferences are open. So you can go out face-to-face, -face, meet, you know, get the content over, build the network and learn from everybody that you come in contact with. But yeah, the continuous learning is probably the number one lesson that I would go. And depending on which uh, area you want to go in as an operator, right? Are you a capital raiser? Are you a asset manager? Are you a, uh, you know, deal finder or whatever role that you play? Or if you are all in one, you know, you still have to meet the right people to see what they are doing and learn from them, right? Awesome, awesome. Well, I think that was a really good, uh, you know, discussion that we had. So why not you tell our audience listeners how to get in touch with you and your company? Yeah, absolutely. So my brand is, uh, is called Exponential Equity. Um, it's uh, exponential-equity.com. And uh, if you go there, you'll see there, Himal and myself, we are the managing partners over there. We have a team uh, that we have built across. Uh, we have about 10 members on our team, including the virtual uh, virtual team that also helps us. But, uh, you know, that's that's the platform. You can also, you know, Yomesh Daliwala, probably the only person who has that first and last name in the whole world. So you can look me up in any platform and now uh, you will see me there. Absolutely, absolutely. I would encourage you guys to go and connect with them. They are doing very well right now. They are rising stars and, you know, catch them early before, you know, they cannot be catched. <laughs> right, so awesome. Thanks, Yomesh, for coming in. Yeah, thank you so much, James, for having me. And uh, we'll hope to see you in North Carolina soon. <laughs> Absolutely. Awesome. Talk to you soon. Bye.